I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 232 for April 6th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about should you leave the marking gauge line or get rid of it, how flat does a jointing plane need to be, and sharpening a fine tooth saw. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, which happens to be Festool, our good friends over there. Whether you're sawing, routing, ripping down large sheets, or cutting a clean miter, you want definitive authority and control in your hands. See how it goes at FestoolUSA.com. Lots of good stuff there. That is just an eye candy website. I mean, I know not everybody's going to want Festool stuff, but if you just you know spend a couple hours there, look at the catalog. It will uh, your your wallet will quiver in your pocket. It might hurt <laughs> we, a little bit. <laughs> we don't. My, my daughter's going to Germany in June, and I'm thinking that I'll just pay the extra baggage fee to have one empty bag put in carry or not carry on, but in mm-hmm. the actual storage area, and just have her load up with Festool. And bring it back. I think it'll be a wash, maybe or not. Yeah, I'm just wondering: Are bit. you going to get any? Like, is it going to be cheaper? Well, <laughs> well I can't imagine it would be. How's, how's the euro doing to the dollar? If it's down, then I think I'm going to be doing okay. Yeah, we better look <laughs> into that. Uh, and we'd also like to thank a few folks who helped us out with monetary contributions: Rob Zer, Kurt Allen, Donald Craigle, Scott Keith, and John Williams. Thank you so much, guys. And if you want to help out too, you can just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the right column for those donation links and uh, sign up for a recurring or a one-time donation. We appreciate the support. Uh, and, now, and John Williams, I love your work on Star Wars. <laughs> there you awesome. go. Nice. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I like it. Uh, you can also sign up for the Wood Talk giveaway, which is something new, and we actually do have two winners to announce, both of which have been contacted already, so they know they won. But let's uh, give them some credit here. Sean Block and Brandon Erickson are the two winners we selected, and that means because it's a new month, we're going to have a new one set up. Honestly, I'm not sure if the giveaway like widget thing is all set up yet because Nicole's been sick and she's slacking with uh, that whole baby making thing in her belly. Oh, you dang pregnancy changes. I know. It's always getting in the way. Mm. But we will have that up soon. And the new one, from what I understand, will include Matt's Tall Dresser project plan, which he is working on right now on uh, Matt's Basement Workshop. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and another Wood Talk t-shirt that we'll be able to give away. So we'll pick two winners for that at the end of this month. So good stuff coming. Right. Awesome. Yes. That sounds good because, you know, if it turns out that you're not a fan of the plan, you're going to love the T-shirt. So it's a win-win regardless. For sure. Yeah, you can you can exchange the plan for a variety of chortle ringtones, too. That's right. right. I, or or if you say something really mean, I'm going to send you a, uh, a a selfie picture that might actually be me in my birthday suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Look forward to that. All right. <laughs> let's move into what's on the bench and uh, I've moved on to a free site project, which just feels good because it's been a while and I've just been uh, delayed with family issues and, oh man, and I feel really bad about it. So I'm glad to get a new project coming in on the free site. And here's the thing, 
uh, wrote an article about this uh, not too long ago talking about um, a change in my mentality on where I'm going with this. I, I always try to put as much as I can into a video and put, you know, make sure it's something I can really be proud of that's going to be useful to people, not just now, but, you know, decades from now, potentially. And, uh, you know, just the trend of online woodworking videos, we've talked about this, I think, in the past, is that things are getting quicker. You know, that people are going through the projects faster. A lot of people have seen all this stuff a hundred times. Why do they need to see it again? So the pace is a little bit faster and it puts people, I would say like the three of us, puts us in an interesting um, uh, situation where we have to decide, do we want to make those faster paced videos or, or do we want to, which are, you know, coincidentally, not coincidentally, incidentally, very, very popular uh, and do very well. Do we want to do that type of thing, which we are certainly capable of, or do we want to still sort of stay true to our roots, which involves much longer form video, explaining more details and things like that. And uh, it's just kind of me being honest with myself that I, I do want to do longer video like that. And that's what this new project is going to be about. It's saying, you know what, not too worried about super tight editing. Like I'll edit it very nicely. It'll be good. It'll be presentable and easy to watch. But if I have something to say and I have something I think people will want to like learn, I'm going to teach it and I'm going to put it in the video. And that's, I think, what got me where I am today. And I think I need to hold true to that. Um, so so it's a simple bathroom mirror, but nice half lap joints. A lot of like good finishing advice is going to go into this thing because it's figured maple. Um, and we're going to kind of do a whole grain popping thing with stains. Um, so it's a lot of fun. I'm actually having a blast. And the fact that it's it's going to be more like a guild video than what I've been doing on the free site lately actually has me really, really excited about it. That's right cool. You know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but yeah, it is really nice to kind of return to this. And I always like to think when I'm when I'm putting these videos together, because I'm definitely going more long form. In fact, I think the last one and for sure the next one that's going to be coming out, it is much longer than I've had in a long time. And I think it's important to, for at least for me, and maybe this is where you guys are coming from too, I like the idea that it, this video should stand alone. If nobody else watches anything else, this one project for some reason just totally hits them and... They they do it and they decide that's it. I've made the apex of all the projects I'll ever make. I never need to make another one. I want them to have all the information in the videos that yeah. I'm putting out. You know, that's a key point. That's that's really key. I feel like I know personally um, I've got a, a big library of back episodes and stuff. And I, for a while I was thinking, well, I don't need to cover that because I've already covered it in this video. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I need to edit that out or, or do the the classic you know, increase it to 200 speed and throw a music track over it because I've already covered that. And what's exciting is how many people uh, will just call it what it is, new people to woodworking coming in who just discovered me, whether in YouTube or whatever, they don't know that I've got <clears throat> a Chester drawers project or a Windsor chair project or whatever. And, and I don't mean this in a bad way. They don't care because what they're looking for at that time is what they just happen to come across. And it really should stand alone. It's a, uh, it's exciting, you know, like, like Mark mm -hmm. said, it's kind of a return to, uh, to roots. And I don't think I know personally, I don't think I realized that I ever really got away from my roots. I just <laughs> fell into the, uh, the, into the step, I guess, with the trend. Well, it was a natural progression, I think. And, and frankly, like the, the one thing I want to get across and with, you know, recent events that, that happened, I want to make sure this is very clear that we don't see this uh, new trend as a negative thing. It's a matter of doing a little bit of self-reflection personally to decide whether what kind of content we want to create who do we want to speak to what type of woodworkers do we want to attract with the things that we make and it's a very personal decision and i think we've all got our place in this hierarchy and this uh, ecosystem um, but it's it's really just a personal question of what what we get satisfaction out of doing with the video content we create you know and, and right. for me if i'm if i'm being honest with myself uh, I consider myself sort of a natural teacher. I want to explain things and, and I also want to make people happy. And I think that's where part of the problem comes because if you start to really pay attention to commentary that comes in on these things, you might start to second guess yourself when, you know, and the three of us have dealt with the, like the, you talk too much comments, uh, yes. which, which are always fun. Uh, but the reality <laughs> is like over time that will wear on you and you start to think, well, geez, maybe I do talk too much. Maybe I should make this faster. And you, you kind of give into that pressure, even though it's not natural. So I think the good thing is things have evolved so far now. And there's so many good woodworkers that are uh, coming online and showing their projects go together that no matter what you're looking for, if you like short videos, you'll find them. If you like detailed videos, you'll find them. And I think it's important for all of us to create the things that our hearts are telling us to create so that this, uh, these options are out there. And when someone's ready to be inspired and to become a woodworker, they've got things at all different levels to, to match any kind of uh, taste that are out there. 
Right. Absolutely. It's very important. Like, like, like you said, I completely agree with you that yeah, it, the short form videos are they're nice. They're really they're great to kind of watch. People really enjoy them. But, yeah, it is nice to stick to what it is that we've done in the past. Also, as you mentioned, too, and I know, Shannon, you feel the same way uh, frequently as, as instructors. We oftentimes already have a not only a body of work to uh, to, dem- to show people, you know, these are things that we've done if you want to go check out other stuff. But in that body of work, we've had a lot of questions that have come in. So you can kind of anticipate if I'm going to just demonstrate this, more than likely I'm going to have a few questions that are going to ask this, this, and this. So, oh my gosh, why not hit it now in the video? Because yeah. somebody's going to ask me anyways, and hopefully this will then help them achieve the result that they want just that much faster. Sure. Now, another thought that I've also had was I like the idea that maybe somewhere, unfortunately for somebody, they're – their last request is just to make a, a piece of furniture and that's it. They're, they're going to, I don't know, something's going to happen to them. And so therefore they're going to get everything they need and, and potentially move on to the next world with a smile, knowing that Matt, Mark and Shannon taught them everything they needed to in that one series. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> um, I, I definitely view it as a, as a, a maturing, a, a maturation of the content because I, for one did talk too much. <laughs> I can only only speak for myself here, but you know when I got those comments, they were warranted. Yeah. Was uh, I, I just want to say I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> Nor should yeah, you. look, we're all guilty of it. The bottom line right. is there was yes. a point in 2006, you know, when it was like I have a camera, I can put video online. <laughs> Are you kidding me? All right, here we Yay. go. La 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 la. You know, and it's that's the way it was. And then, like you said, our skills matured. Uh, not just in woodworking, but in video editing. And you learn a certain amount of taste, you know, and you get a sense for what's the right amount of talking, how much voiceover to do, and you just get better at doing it. And hopefully we'll continue to get better. We certainly don't well, know everything, I mean, but... From a from a business standpoint, I started looking at what I was putting up publicly and going, oh yeah, that stuff in the handle school is so much better. And it's like, why are you giving that impression then? Like you're asking somebody to to basically pay for video and they look at your public body of work and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I know that the, the project that I'm, I'm in the middle of right now producing and the next two projects out on the Renaissance Woodworker are going to be what I would call hand tool school quality because yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense to do anything less than now, that. You should show as an example, what people will get if they go to this other thing so they can make an informed choice and either buy or not buy. Right. And I should be clear, hand tool school, semester six quality, not semester one quality. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's, there's been a maturation on the paid side as well. Yeah, it's all good. All right. Well, I really didn't want to talk about like backend video business uh, crap, but here we are. Yeah. Sorry about right. that. You started it. I know it's my fault. Matt, what's going on in your shop? Well, you know, before we go on, I like the fact that in the, the show notes it says going old school with the video. I thought you were going to break out the Betamax video camera. That's, what That's you said right. You were do. Yeah, really yeah. old school. <laughs> right, exactly. Direct to LaserDisc. <laughs> yeah. Well, really what's going on with me is I am I'm finally – I'm at that point now and I know we have definitely discussed this about how much you get kind of like lost out in the details, those final little details that you just have so many of them when you're trying to wrap up a project and that's kind of where I am right now. Uh, the big thing that I, I'm working on and I'm kind of struggling a little bit but I think I finally have it under control is – as I mentioned uh, before, when I'm putting the, the drawers together, rather than using dovetails, I have just a simple rabbited drawer front for the sides, and then I'm going to reinforce those with the dowels. Now, here's the issue I'm running into is that where I have the dowels going, they're almost a little bit too close to that leading edge of the uh, the sides themselves. So as I'm drilling for them, uh, I'm actually getting a little bit of a tear out. Now, some people might be saying, oh, well, it's because of the plywood. Well, no, I think most of it has to do with the fact that it's so dang close to the end that those fibers are are really struggling to be supported. So I've gone through a couple different ways to try and take care of this. Like I put tape down, which actually helped considerably. I love blue tape. And then I went ahead and made like a little jig using some scrap plywood where I put that down. And then that has helped to reinforce those fibers, but I, the the number one issue I'm running to, into is I just got those those dowels just way too close to the end. Unfortunately, I already have a couple of drawers done like that, so it's like I don't want it to suddenly be like first two drawers are right here. Oh look, all the rest of them are inset even further. 
So it really looks like I had no clue what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's really just dealing with a little bit of tear out and coming up with just a a neat way to kind of deal with it. So that's going to be coming out in uh, the next video, which should be released uh, pretty soon, actually, because I'm due for a video. These these Bavarians that are visiting me have really taken some the wind out of my my video work. What an inconvenience. What a dumb idea. What a dumb idea in the first place. Ah, oh, this international relationship <laughs> thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a joke, by the way. <laughs> yeah. By the way, actually, what's really funny is they're both from Munich. And apparently uh, in my uh, analytics, uh, I'm huge in Munich. Mm. Oh, really? Well, good. Yeah. Good. It explains yeah. why. Yeah, I've got like two people sense. that follow me there. It might be them. They might have been doing their research. You should have them do guest, uh, guest appearances on the show. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. Cool. All right. Uh, Shannon, what about you? Uh, I got no shop time this week. Um, my, my wife, ever since the movie, the big year came out, she's been interested in birding. So she wrote me into a trip and we went and watched birds this weekend. Is it, uh, is it as not exciting as it sounds? It was fun. We went out hiking. (laughs) It sounds relaxing. With a pair of binoculars. I saw a bald eagle. That was kind of cool. Nice. Sounds like a great opportunity to get caught up on my sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what it, what it what it comes down to is is now that she's really excited and interested in this, the um, eventual thing that happens in every woodworker's life, I have to build a birdhouse. Well, actually, a bird feeder. Oh, nice. So I'll be building an oriole bird feeder in the next couple of weeks or so. So very yay. cool. That's good to have uh, good to have hobbies with your significant other. Yeah, well, there is that. That was fun. I mean, like I said, it was basically just a glorified hike with a pair of binoculars. But it was beautiful weather for once. It was nice to get out and. Shake off the winter cobwebs. You know what? You, you guys are totally going to have to start doing like bird calls. <laughs> like, you know, those yeah, people who uh, like, like no. really dedicate time to like getting the perfect whistle for specific birds, like doing bird calls. You got to do that. That would be awesome. You know, I was just thinking that actually your your wife and my wedding town friends belong together because they find it to be an enjoyable and fun game. If we sit around the table and then they break out flashcards and go, what is it? I'll go oh, <laughs> you know what though it has been interesting because i've been thinking a lot about kind of assumptions i make in my own teaching um yeah i've been doing this a while now and i tend to make some assumptions oh i don't need to cover that and people are like well wait a minute how'd you do that and nowhere has this been more apparent than like <laughs> standing here with binoculars and my wife's like oh look that's a such and such I'm like how do you know that like what what are you looking at that looks exactly the same as the last seven birds we saw Thank and it you. just it just reminds me of you know i because i get people like well what wood is this and i'm like it's white oak I'm like, how do you know Doy. that it's white oak it's like because it is it's white oak uh, she could she might just be doing what i do and just making it up <laughs> could be <laughs> you know oh okay that's a that's a yellow horned uh swallowtail right Ooh, fascinating <laughs> all right oh, uh Lord. let's move into our shoot what do we have what's new uh you know what not a whole lot you guys are slacking here but we do have and i'm talking to the audience who's supposed to send us this stuff so we have something to talk about <laughs> thank you yes i was sitting here going oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh nope nope they but send we, us uh, nothing. i'm in the clear we do have something and it is the highland woodworker always a good way to spend uh, what what is it like 20 minutes 25 minutes uh highland woodworker episode 18 features math matthew teague the uh, little like highlight on a pinewood derby dilly and uh our good friend megan fitzpatrick talking about marking gauges so always a treat to watch that show i enjoy it and uh that's at highlandwoodworker.com you know one of my favorite episodes is the one where you and i were on it that's probably the best one they did. I frankly. think it is. I think it's the most highly rated. <laughs> right. uh, was I that, didn't like that, that one because I was like, where the hell was I? You know, that was, we, uh, we, we grabbed them and said, Shannon's down in the food court. Let's go over here. That's right, because they wanted to get a whole bunch of people on it. And the only people who were like Matt and I, were, of course, were available, right? Because we have yeah. nothing better to do. You guys were skipping class. <laughs> exactly. Hanging out yeah. in the hallway well, smoking. The best part about the behind the scenes was they had us like right at the top of the escalator. So people kept walking by and waving at us and we're trying like not to be rude, but at the same time, not be rude. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it was a a tricky interview. All right, let's move into the poll of the week. Got a couple of them here for you. So last week we asked about tools that you regret buying and you got to go read the comments on this. The poll is at uh, thewoodwhisperer.com slash polls. No, slash poll slash tools dash you dash regret. Uh, Maybe we'll just put the link in the show notes for you. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Good idea. Uh, over 1,300 responses on this one, but uh, hilarious comments uh, from people talking about their tool buying experiences. 72% said a few bad ones in my day. Um, mm-hmm. I would fall into that category. 
Uh, 5% said never. Every purchase has been spot on. 13% said I've purchased more than my share of gimmicky tools. And 8% said that they refuse to answer for uh, fear of incrimination. I guess that's one of the, that's one of the emails I get where it's like, how do I hide a purchase from my significant other? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just to double check, I went to uh, one of the uh, psychology websites and it turns out that 5% of most listeners are in complete denial. So I think that takes care of the 5% that say never. That explains it. And uh, next week's poll, actually this week's poll, sorry, uh, is on Poplar. And Tom asked the question, you know, what do you think about Poplar? It's sort of underrated in a lot of ways. You don't hear people bragging about their project they just made out of Poplar. Um, yet it's still a really good wood. It's a great practice wood. And it's one that people should, you know, have in their arsenal as an inexpensive way to, to get some sort of, um, you know, nearly hardwood-like kind of experience. <laughs> you know, so it's one, like pine might be cheap, but you, unless you're going to be working with pine, it tends to be a lot softer. Um, than is ideal. So it's nice to have inexpensive woods that also um, have a certain hardness to them that make them a little bit more like the woods you might be working with if you dropped a whole bunch of money on it. Um, if so, you buy it in the rough, poplar is cheaper than pine too. There you go. So so, so that that's available right now because the uh, dresser I'm building is uh, entirely out of poplar. So I feel like I should go answer that right now. There you go. So it, you should be expressing your thoughts on poplar on that poll. All right, so that's the poll of the week. Thanks, Tom, for that. Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com is the dude who helps us with that stuff. So we've got some good kickback here. This one actually just came in right before we went on the air. And who is it from? What's his name? Jeff Jeff. Shell. He says, I happen to be a woodworker and crafter, and I would like to let you know that your mean comments about us knitters, I'm more of a crocheter, but still, has made episode 230 the last episode of Wood Talk I will ever (gasps) listen to. Aside from 231 and any others that come out, because I still love you guys and I'm totally kidding. Oh, sure. oh my gosh. You had us I, there I for a minute, off. Jeff. Jeez, we're all getting getting ready to be defensive. Uh, <laughs> he says, I would, however, like to say that there should totally be some loving for us crafters from a woodworking standpoint, because people will pay good money for shiny things. So if you can bust out some segmented crochet hooks or knitting needles in an afternoon and sell them at a craft fair, you can make money hand over fist. Uh, you so, know, I've yeah. always found that the knitters and potentially the splinter group crocheters, uh, whenever I confront them, like at a Joanne Fabrics or something, if I'm there for something and I just like I grab the stuff out of their cart and I'm like, you evil people. They always give me that look like you're crazy. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just in case anyone doesn't know, because actually when I first read that, he did get me after the first sentence. I'm like, Jeez, what too. did we do? Um, we're kidding. Like this whole crocheting knitting thing goes back to like a joke, early, early wood talk joke, and it's not a big deal. It's just, you know, we love knitters and crocheters, just like anyone else who creates anything. We love you. I was going to say, you guys actually dedicated the show to knitting before I came along, if I remember correctly. I think we did a April Fool's uh, intro for the show. Not only are we kidding, it's the only woodworking podcast with a dedicated show to knitting. That's right. Nothing nothing wrong with knitting, I think is what we called it. Nothing but knitting. Classic. Definitely a classic. (laughs) Yeah. So I wish they'd come back and sponsor us again. I I love their sponsorship. We just keep talking crap about them, so it isn't going to happen. Uh, All right, next one here is from Josh. He says, while listening to your latest episode where you talked about uh, an Adirondack chair and outdoor wood movement, I thought of something that I believe is false. It's the idea that leaving a gap between decking. Uh, Most DIY and woodworking shows will tell people to leave a gap, usually the thickness of a deck screw or a 16-penny nail, between the deck boards for water drainage. When I look... When I looked, took some construction classes, the instructor told us that this gap is not needed because when you're using pressure-treated wood, it'll dry out and make the gap even bigger. Last year, I built a set of deck chairs, and I'm sorry, tech stairs on fire today, <laughs> uh, and didn't put a gap and have indeed noticed that the wood has had time to dry. Some of my joints and gaps have opened up. I just wanted to confirm that this is indeed true. Obviously, if you're dealing with composite decking or some other type of material that isn't going to dry out and shrink, then you would need that gap. Also, it could depend on a person's climate and how wet the wood is, but most of the pressure-treated wood I've worked with from the home center is pretty wet. So I think he kind of you know, answered the question <laughs> that he raised, but Shannon, you have any comments on that? Uh, I think he completely answered yeah. it. It all depends upon what you're using. Um, I have a blog post on the McIlvain blog about what uh, choosing the gap size for your decking. Um, I can include the link if you guys are interested, but it, it all comes down to what material you're using, and you know, it's better to be safe than sorry, because if you don't leave enough gap, it's a lot more catastrophic than a slightly too wide gap. Mm, okay. Um, buckling and cracking and all kinds of bad, nasty stuff. 
and the increase in the gap, you know, if you're talking about something that's like the width of a 16 penny nail, yeah, it's going to open up a little more, but no one's going to fall through it. Yeah. I mean, most decking, <laughs> most is, people is, won't fall through it. six inches, well, five and a half inches wide. Yeah. So from a percentage perspective, you're looking at it most maybe, well, maybe an eighth of an inch if you got really wet stuff, maybe a little bit more, but it's not like your chihuahua is going to fall through it. You know, <laughs> I lost my dog. Um, you might even be able to walk in it in stiletto heels, Matt. Ooh, I, so. Well, Good in that news. case, I, I potentially, but I, I'll probably drop some of my taco filling through it, and that's just not cool. Now, fi- at oh. least uh, Matt's Fashion Fridays on the outside deck will still uh, go off without a hitch. But then everybody come out for the catwalk. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think this uh, okay. this is all confusing to me, Matt. I think you got this next one. Yep, I do. And this one came in from Major John Wilson, and if, actually, this one just popped in earlier today too. So you guys are getting this right in on time for the kickback. But for some reason, we've got no news from anybody. <laughs> so, anyways, though, so. Uh, John said, first of all, thanks again for the show and your time. It makes us all smarter. I had a kickback question from the panel glue up show last week. I don't understand how you can run a glued up panel through a planer to clean up the glue lines, level it out and get it flat. How does that differ from running a rough sawn board through your planer without joining the opposite face first? Uh, put another way, if a glue up, if, if a glue up, if I glue up a panel, and it has imperfections on the glue line, say high and low spots, then I would expect that if I ran it through the planer to clean up the top of the panel, that the panel would no longer be square since the planer is simply making the top parallel to any imperfections on the bottom, such as cup, bow, high, low spots, etc. All right, guys. So we, if you remember right, we talked about the, the whole glue up and that we, we're going to run it through the, the thickness planer and we're going to be all set there because once in a while that's just really nice to do. Um, I don't, when I usually do this, the one thing I always run into is, so I glued up my panel and there's that slight little bit, one's maybe just a little bit proud of the other or just whatever it is. There's a little, little issue with it and I'm going to run it through now and make both sides nice and flat. Typically by that point, um, often I have already jointed those boards before I even glued them up. That's one way I've done it. And then I can just run them through and even if it's, slightly off a little bit uh, i still get a nice flat flat panel and then if necessary i'll go back and joint the edge so now again it's 90 degrees and then i'll rip it say on the table saw if that's what i need to do so that's how i get all four sides nice and parallel and square with each other yeah if i've taken a rough board a couple of rough boards because i think we talked a little bit about this where if i've taken two rough boards and i've i have them glued together because i jointed you know, uh, one common line there on the on the glue line. Oftentimes, I'm going to be doing that to say hand flatten one side with a hand plane, and then I'll use that as my reference face to run through the thickness planer. Or recently, I've been using a uh, thickness planer sled, and I'll do that. And there's even like a couple other techniques that I'm not going to go into right now uh, where you could potentially run it through a thickness planer like that. Now, Mark, I know you've done one where you actually remove like the rabbiting guard or the, the blade guard on oh, yeah. the jointer mm-hmm. and you'll flatten maybe half of the board or half of the new panel. And then you put it on like a, a, a piece of plywood that helps to support it. And then you run it through that way. I know I, I remember seeing that one once yeah, before. That's good for wind boards and maybe narrow panels, but ultimately I'm not going to use that for a panel glue up just because right. usually you're, you're getting a significant width out of that. Yes. Once you get too wide, that technique kind of falls apart. Oh, you wide boards, stupid wide boards. Well, and this is funny because I was reading it. And I'm like, well, when you said that, I was thinking, well, if the glue joint is off too much, I would never send it through the planer and just expect that to clean it up because it will kind of, I mean, if it's not sitting flat, something's going to give. It's not going to work right. But I think in your case, you're talking about very minor amounts of imperfections between surfaces on that glue up so that you can get away right. with kind of uh, doing a quick skip planing, you know, and then bringing it down to your final thickness. There you go. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of confused with this question, though. I mean, first of all, I don't see that it is any different than running a rough board through a planer. As long as it registers without rocking and moving around, and, and as long as the feed rollers don't flatten out any cup, then yeah, you're getting a, a surface that's flat on one side. Then you flip it over and you get a surface parallel to that. But when he says, how do you end up with a panel that's not square? Not square to what? The well, edges? Well, what you're doing, if you think about it, one, let's just say two boards, you glue them together. Uh, one is a little bit higher than the other. So you send it through right. the planer. 
what's going to happen when that goes through and those pressure rollers hit it is it's going to cause it to tilt at a bit of right. an angle as it pushes the high one down to the ground. Oh, so he's so saying it's no send longer, it through. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's I would, like the plane of the, the faces have now changed. The, both planes are going to change here. So by the time you send it through both ways, you'll, you'll probably eventually get it to some level of true flatness again, but you'll flip it over, put the other side through. Now your edges are no longer square because you've actually established a new plane on the, yeah, the you, face. See, the key you, is is to dress however you dress it. In my case, a hand plane. You dress the panel so that the side that goes down on the bed is flat. Right, so flat a lot of times I'll take, say there is that imperfection in the board slides, or say you've just got a you know nasty glue line. I'll usually grab my four plane, kind of set it light, and just take a pass right along the glue line. And what it does is it creates a little hollow right in that joint. So then when you flip it over, you've got that kind of like... Um, like the hollow ground effect. Yeah. You've got two points mm-hmm. touching on the outer edges of the panel and it references really, really smoothly. Now, if you're talking about a thin panel and the hollow is too big, the rollers will flatten out that panel, but I'm not talking about that. You want it to ride perfectly smoothly. Then it creates that pass. Then you just flip it over and remove the little hollow on the first face. Yeah. But I'm not touching my edges or the end until after I've done this. Right, right. Okay, so yeah, if that it goes slightly thin. out of square and you get like a parallelogram, I don't care because I'm doing the, the edge jointing later. Um, you know, generally I'm, I'm thicknessing my panel wads oversized and then taking it down to final size with a saw and a hand plane later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause that was one thing that I, I know I mentioned that going back in and maybe touching up the edges. Cause oftentimes, uh, the edges might be one of the last things that I actually square up. In fact, it's kind of funny cause then there's times I get done with all this stuff. I'm like, man, I was already on the joiner. Why didn't I just go ahead and square up that edge? Right. But frequently that's what I'll end up doing is I'll just come back in and I'll touch up that edge for whatever reason, before I ever head off to whatever the next action is, which would typically be something like heading over to the table saw and ripping the other end. So it's now I have parallel edges or something. But Well, hmm. John, um, I've got a video coming out. I'm not exactly sure when it's going to happen, but the next part of my display shelf video, I do this entire thing on camera. So you'll see it. Um, I didn't go with a rough sawn board, but I didn't really pay much attention to gluing up the panel. Hmm. Um, and I just match planed it, glued it together, and it shifted a little bit on me and I cleaned it up and run through the planer. So you'll see exactly how I do it. That might help. Cool. All right. We have got two uh, voicemail kickbacks here. They're not questions, but I'll play them real quick. Wait. Hi, guys. My name is Joe, and I'm a uh, middle school shop teacher in central New Jersey. And uh, all right, they don't call it that anymore. I, uh, I'm actually called a technology education and STEM teacher. But if you're teaching seventh graders how to use bandsaws and other sorts of power tools, and eighth graders how to use... SketchUp and a CNC router, I kind of call that an awesome shop class. <laughs> anyway, since I stand on a concrete floor keeping watch over kids for like seven hours a day, you're uh, talk about like these anti-fatigue mats struck a chord. So I found it impractical to have anti-fatigue mats in my 30 by 60 shop, so I put them in my shoes. I find that I must wear Merrill brand shoes, which are like seriously expensive, but totally worth it. Or I have to wear Columbia hiking shoes and those like $15 gel inserts by Dr. Scholes. If I don't, my chiropractor gets the money I should have spent on shoes. <laughs> anyway, thanks for all you do. Awesome show. Bye. Very nice. Thanks for that, so, Joe. So Joe is gelling. Something like that. Nice. Nice. Right. nice. I, I would go along with that one, but I can't remember the rest of the commercial. Yeah, right. uh, next one here is from Vinny and has a clarification on his Roomba comments from last week. Hey, gang, this is Vinny in Atlanta. Hey, I am so embarrassed that uh, my Bluetooth connection was so terrible that my call, which finally got on the show, sounded so awful that you had a comment on it. Anyway, just wanted to give you the quick, uh, the quick and dirty. Um, the Roomba... Um, the one I had mentioned, it's not the garage version. It's the regular Roomba. Uh, the one I have happens to have two HEPA filters in it, which I think makes a world of difference. And uh, they're small, but they're replaceable, and the parts are, are, are very accessible. I think I paid about 500 bucks for mine. I don't think you need a, a garage version or whatever that is because mine, God, mine picks up screws and washers once in a while and uh, never has a problem. Anyway... Sorry about the awful connection on the voicemail and hope that gives a little bit of help. Take care, guys. Love the show. Bye-bye. Very nice. Much better connection this time, Vinny. 
Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Perfect. And, and thanks, Vinny. I've been spending a lot of time on the iRobot website lately going, ooh, I want one. Ooh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Let's get into our emails here. I've got the first one from Ted. He says, I routine, uh, routinely, the hell, I routinely, oh, routine. see, <laughs> I routinely see you use the marking gauge down the entire length of a workpiece. Upon final assembly, it appears that uh, it leaves a fairly visible cut line where the tails remain. So he's talking about um, pin and tail joint, usually a drawer or something like that, where you use the marking gauge to establish your shoulder line. Uh, he says, is this line desirable? Because one can infer that it was indeed hand cut. At first glance, it appears undesirable to my eye and something that should be avoided. What strategies would be used to avoid it? Uh, thanks. I could just be OCD overthinking it, but uh, if you don't take issue, blah, 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 blah. All right. So, I think this is really, uh, Ted, just going to be a matter of opinion. I think when people first start woodworking and they learn about, you know, certain types of joinery and what a good sanded clean surface should look like, and then they start digging into these hand cut dovetails and they see that some people will leave that line. The first reaction is like, dude, what are you doing? Why would you leave that line there? It's dumb. And then you start to realize that some people leave the line there as something of a, you know, badge of pride. And then you start to second guess yourself and go, well, maybe it's not that bad. Okay. I want people to see that I cut these by hand. It's pretty cool. So you, you know, people then progress to the other side of the fence. Now, ultimately I don't think it matters. It's like, if you still don't think it looks good, then get rid of it. If you like it and you think it says something about the work, then leave it. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know where most people fall on this. This sounds like a great poll question. I should ask uh, Tom to set that up. Uh, but for me personally, I could take it or leave it. Like if it makes it into the final piece, fine, but I don't do it in an intentional way. So one thing that you can do is intentionally make your drawer sides and you have to calculate for this. Like you have to plan for it. Make I'm your out. <laughs> Forget <laughs> about that. Um, you could make your thickness, either the thickness of the material on the sides a little bit thicker than you really need, or simply just leave them proud. So when you're actually cutting your pins, don't cut the pins as deep as the board is thick. Make them just a little bit shallow so that your sideboard sticks up a little bit. So then you could plane or sand or scrape, whatever you want to do, on the side of the drawer side, and you'll be able to remove any of those marks, and it'll have a nice clean appearance. At the very least, you're probably going to sand it, and that will get rid of a good amount of it and make it even you know less noticeable. But right. it's not like you're gouging the thing with the gauge. You're not putting like an eighth inch deep mark in this. Yeah, it doesn't take much to get rid of it. Uh, so so frankly, if you don't like it, just account for it. If you're going to make that cut, account for it and leave your sides just a little bit proud so you can remove stock, finesse the drawer fit and, and get rid of that as you go. Um, just real quick, I'm curious, personal opinion for you guys. Um, again, for me, I could take it or leave it. Uh, most of the time I get rid of it. Um, so Matt, what do you do? I actually, I kind of like it. Um, and it's not really a matter of Snob. like, yes, that's exactly the reason I'm like, I want mine on there. In fact, what I'll do is if I've ever done the machine, uh, dovetails, which happen very, very infrequently, I'll just come back in there and I'll take a nice straight edge and scribe one in. I thought so you just would use a, a marker or something. Well, nice. yeah, sometimes <laughs> I, you know, I always want to make sure that there's a proper, it shows but, up really but good. But it's a fine tip marker. So it's a right. very fine. Wear tip your marker. knife line with pride. In fact, what I'll do is I'll take highlighter. one of those, uh, engineering pencils and I'll yeah. make sure to run down it but I always twist the uh the pencil so that I always get proper coverage from the ink as smart. it's going down smart. there very smart uh Shannon what about you you know I was as you were talking about this I was thinking to try to figure out what I do and I think I'm kind of with you Mark that I don't really care um but I do specifically remember on a on a case piece where the dovetails were visible without opening a drawer mm -hmm. um I did take the extra effort to clean up those lines um and I don't I don't remember it being like, oh, I've got to get rid of those ugly lines. Yeah. Um, I just figured, well, since it was there and out in public, this is on my tool cabinet. I did actually clean them up. On drawers, I don't care because the drawers are closed. And let's put it this way. The only people who open the drawers and go, ooh, dovetails jerks. are other woodworkers. Oh, <laughs> right. They're going to say jerks. And okay. jerks. Yes. And <laughs> you walk around any museum and look at some of these old pieces and there are knife lines there because they – didn't care like their yeah. drawers are supposed to be closed and you can't see them mm -hmm. and only 21st century and 20th century late 20th century woodworkers have put dovetails on such a pedestal that we have to show off our knife lines Maybe and that's also why there's saw kerf marks typically on the inside of the drawer box because they're like <laughs> that i gonna do. look at here <laughs> that i do all the time it makes it removing half blinds a lot easier that way there you go yeah, so ultimately, it seems like it's a personal choice. I don't think you know anyone would begrudge you one way or the other. Um, but if you don't like the way it looks, don't do it. 
Yeah. Um, Anybody whose furniture has not been admitted to the Met because of knife lines, speak up. We want to know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Matt, you're up. They might be zombies. I don't know if I want to know that. Sorry, I just totally got distracted on top of it, too. While I'm sitting here, I happen to look over and my wife left, left a note for herself. Uh, and Mark, our birthdays are coming up. Yes. She's not getting anything for you, but she has a note on here that she wants to get me a overnight bag that's nice and manly. What does that <laughs> say about the existing one I have? <laughs> What's it say about her wanting you to get out of the house? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Actually, I think she's tired of me using the one that has roses all over it that she tried to throw away. And I'm like, that's a good bag. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So this question came in from Tony. And Tony says, I have an early 1900 Stanley number eight jointer hand plane I bought a few years ago off of eBay. I'm finally getting around to rehabbing it because I'm building a split top rubo from the guild. Guild? Why? Nice. Tony, <laughs> so I love you. Gimmicks. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. So he says, I, I checked it. I checked it on a granite surface plate and noticed one of the back corners of the sole lifts up probably uh, two one thousandths to three one thousandths of an inch. And when I hold the plane against a board or the surface plate, the sole seems to lie flat with normal pr- pressure. Hmm. Is this a junk plane or is it normal? Okay, so just for a little perspective, I always have trouble with thousandths of an inch. So I try to look this up, and so like. Two one thousandths of an inch would be equivalent to like say four to five sheets of uh, copier paper, and to me that that's while it, it's it's definitely maybe noticeable to some degree if you're getting down and really looking at it, it's not so noticeable that if I'm using that hand plane, I'm going to be really concerned about it. It's a number eight. That is a huge body. It's an aircraft it, carrier. It is. It really is. It's something that GI Joe should be fighting Cobra on. <laughs> no, Joe. <laughs> so. So when I'm holding that thing, all my pressure is over the, the, the knob and the tote. And so more than likely, I am not going to really be noticing if that one single back corner is slightly lifted. So if I'm pushing down with my pressure on those two spots, on the, on the knob and the tote, and I'm not feeling real noticeable rocking, and by noticeable rocking, I mean you'll notice if there's rocking. I don't see if there's any issue at all with that plain body because if there's that one little spot that's up there, it still sounds to me like easily 95% to 98% of the plane is registering the way it's supposed to. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a totally usable plane. Now, if this was a brand new plane uh, that I purchased from say Lee Valley or Lee Nielsen, I would immediately be making a phone call and demanding to talk to either Robin or Tom and you know request that I get something new. But in this situation, um, I really don't see an issue with it. Nice. Don't they already just screen your calls anyway, Matt? Uh, I think they're yet another uh, entity that has me blocked. Oh, okay. I think they would say, uh, "Sir, you can speak to customer service just like everyone else." Yeah, uh, between uh, U.S. Customs and uh, the Maine State Police, I'm usually stopped at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right, Shannon. This comes from Josh. He says, I have watched many videos on saw sharpening, but I am not able to find any information, written or video, where someone has attempted to sharpen the Veritas 20 TPI dovetail saw. Is this just because the teeth are so small that no one wants to attempt it on camera? Probably. (laughs) Or is this saw not resharpened in the bubble? I have had mine about a year, and it feels much slower in the cut than when I first got it. I've probably cut 25-plus joints with it, but it seems early for me to get it dull. How often do you sharpen a saw like this? All right, there's a couple questions going on here. Um, Yes, it is sharpenable. And actually, um, I found that these really fine ones, they're kind of easy. Now, you do have to have a specific file for it, especially the 20 TPI. you need to have a needle file. And the rule of thumb is that your saw file should be about twice the height of the tooth. That way you can always rotate the saw file around as it gets dull and you've got another edge you can use. But even then, 20 TPI is tiny, 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 small. So you need a special needle file to get in there. I suppose you could probably get away with um, maybe a six-inch double extra slim or a four-inch double extra slim or something. But regardless, you just need a, a fine file to do that wasn't that matt's wrestling name in college i thought it was super spongy matt no, or was double, that high school double extra slim yeah i had an alias for a while because uh my evil twin <laughs> because nice. in the state of maine you couldn't wrestle so you needed it yeah. <laughs> there was anyway, that too sorry to interrupt go ahead <laughs> because the teeth are so small it's really difficult to impart any kind of rake or fleam or serious geometry because there's just 
tiny, tiny tooth. So it's actually quite easy. I mean, it, it takes like half a pass with a file because the tooth is so small and you've got it sharp. So I actually find that these fine tooth saws are um, pretty simple to sharp, very quick to sharp. That being said, I got rid of my 20 tooth dovetail saw because it was way finer than anything I ever needed. And it annoyed me because it cut so slow. So these days, 15, 16 PPI, I think is as, as fine as I get. But even then, they're not that difficult to sharpen because there's just not that much steel to remove. Now, as far as how often do you sharpen it? Um, 25 joints, 25 dovetail joints. I mean, I think you're getting close. I mean, if you can definitely feel that it's sharp, that it's, it's not cutting as quickly, it's probably time. Um, the, the key that I always say is that a sharp saw should feel sticky sharp. And just that, if you just touch your, your hands to the tooth line, your fingers will actually stick to it. That's that sharp. Now don't press your hand into it and draw blood. Just let me just go right on record and say, lightly touch the saw. And if your fingers stick to it, it's sharp. If it doesn't, then you need to sharpen it. The other thing is if you hold it under light and you see reflection on the teeth, then that's probably something that needs to be sharpened. With really, really small teeth like this, there is a lot of tendency, especially if you're cutting thicker dovetails. I mean, a 20 TPI saw, I mean, you're talking half inch and thinner stock. That's what it's really intended for. So it can be a really good drawer dovetailing um, saw because a lot of drawer sides are around a half inch thick. But if you're dealing with thicker stuff than that, you get a lot of heat buildup with such a fine saw because the gullets fill up really, really quickly. And all that does is build up the heat. So there's every possibility that it's dulling faster because you've just got so much more friction on that tooth line. Um, I know that I've got a 14 points per inch saw that I have cut, lost count of the number of joints, and I never had to sharpen the thing. So I probably there's probably a saw sharpening expert out there that would say it has something to do with just how much heat buildup you get on those tiny little teeth Hmm. because of all the sawdust buildup. But bottom bottom line is if it feels like it's cutting slower, it's cutting slower. You need to sharpen it. So get yourself a, a needle file or if you want, don't – I know Lee Nielsen, Bad Axe, they all uh, – Gramercy, they all offer resharpening services. If you're afraid to do it, send it back to Veritas. I'm pretty sure they will resharpen it for you. What's that run for something like that? Resharpening? Yeah, cost-wise. I don't know. I think a lot of places do it for free. Oh, really? shipping. Oh, nice. I, don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure Bad Axe will do it for you for free. You pay the shipping. Can you uh, send them a Veritas saw? I don't know. <laughs> well, you case. can. I know you can send them like vintage saws, so yeah. probably. Huh. But, you know, it's just one of those things. If you can be without your saw for however long it takes, ship it off to them. Right. And, you know, I, I know for the longest time I kept like all the boxes that my saws came in thinking that I would eventually do it. Kind of like when you keep the the forest woodworker two blade yeah. to ship back. Yeah, exactly. I did that with my hand saws for a while. And then I finally just said, you know, I'm going to learn to do this myself. Nice. That's the one thing I'll say about saw sharpening. You just got to try it. It's really not hard. I promise you. It's especially when the saw is brand new, not brand new, but you bought it new. So someone who knew what they were doing, set the tooth geometry. And it's a matter of just kind of dropping the file in and kind of pressing down and getting a feel for how the file sits there and keeping to that. It's it's really not that difficult. Try it once. You might be surprised. If you screw it up, send it back to Veritas. I'm pretty sure they will sharpen it for you. I well, might have to try it. They'll fix your hand plane. They'll yep. fix your yeah. hand plane if you, uh, if you mess it up. So, <laughs> right. I just love when, when Matt's answering a question about an, a plane sole that's out of flat. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm like, is he the best person to answer this? Really? Two thousands of an inch. I can fix that. I can turn it to six thousand. Send it to me. Nice. Send it to me. That's why my advice was don't worry about it. <laughs> Just leave it alone. It's better off being left alone. Trust me. You, you know what? If you can make eye contact with the person on the other side of the bench, don't worry about it. That's supposed to be that way. <laughs> oh, classic Matt. All right. Uh, well, if you want to support the show, you can do so with a recurring or a one-time donation. Just go to woodtalkshow.com and click on those links on the right-hand side. You can buy a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And hey, you should also get a chance to win something. Go to the uh, giveaway page on woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and win yourself a tall dresser plan from Matt's Basement Workshop or a t-shirt. And we'll be picking two winners for that at the end of the month. And you can also leave us an iTunes review. Just head to iTunes, look us up in the store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a five-star rating just like, uh, what's his name, Kevin0611 said. Uh, What did he say? The most magical podcast ever. 
five stars. He says, I built a bookcase for our new house. I built it out of warped plywood from the big box store and put it together with pocket screws and finished it with some leftover latex paint. It was terrible. It caused much upset to anyone who saw it. Then I subscribed to the Wood Talk podcast. When I awoke the next day, I walked past the bookcase. Something was different. It was no longer plywood, but the most beautiful figured maple. The joinery was no longer pocket screws, but hand-cut dovetails, mortises, and tenons. The latex paint was gone, and a beautifully hand-rubbed oil finish took its place, and that was just after listening to one episode. After the second episode, my Black & Decker tools were replaced with Festool products, and I was finally able to fit into my skinny jeans. Thank you, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. I wonder where my skinny jeans went to. <laughs> yeah, they're at Kevin's house. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> uh, that was just, uh, I felt it was almost poetic. I, I felt like I needed to read that. It really was. Good stuff. I felt like that was an episode of uh, My Little Pony. I'm going to have to ask my brony if he's familiar with that episode. Yeah, it could be. could very well be. And uh, we don't promise these results for everyone, just as a disclaimer. Just for guys named Kevin0611. That's right. Uh, all right, Matt, how about you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question or topic suggestion or maybe you hoping for a little extra luck just like Kevin0611? Well, don't come rubbing my belly because I'm not Buddha. There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And, you know, we mentioned earlier that we're kind of we're not really going old school in the sense of like Betamax and all that good stuff. But we are going to stick hard to our roots from before. So if you want to check out those roots and make sure that they're our natural hair color, too, you can find those (laughs) over at our individual websites, which is Mark's at the woodwhisperer.com. Shannon's over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And Matt's over at mattsbasementworkshop.com. Awesome. You know, one day I think we should just combine all three of our archives into one giant massive pile of crap that no one wants to watch. (laughs) That's what we could call it, crap.com. There you go. Might already (laughs) exist. All right, well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.